You're listening to The Travelers Podcast, a podcast for the over 30s who like to travel. We're your hosts, Leanne and Al Elliott, and we're a husband and wife team who've been full-time travelers since 2017. You can follow our adventures, see our honest reviews, and get links to everything mentioned in this podcast at travelers.com. So we're here with Tommy and Catherine Milburn, who are owners of the Tiki Grove um, in Gili Trawangan. I don't know how to say it. How do you say it? Trawangan. Trawangan. That's yeah. probably the first time I've heard someone say that. Trawangan. Oh, wow. There's, a, there's many different spellings yeah. in it. Uh-huh. Nobody, nobody has an agreement on how it's actually spelled or said, but... Gili T. Trawangan is the real, but yeah. Trawangan. Yeah. Trawangan. Yeah. Gili T. Yeah, Gili T. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. <laughs> and so you... How long have you been here at the Tiki Bar? Well, we've lived on the island for five years, but Tiki Grove is a year and a half old. So we opened in September of 2017. So we're, we, we're still relatively new uh, as a business. But yeah, we've got five years of life on this island. So how did you get here? What's your story of getting here? Shipwreck. <laughs> um, no, we came out here on our honeymoon, and we were fortunate enough to meet an Indonesian that actually lived for years where I grew up in Canada so we knew a lot of the same people and Catherine and I on our honeymoon were actively looking to leave Canada live somewhere tropical and uh, it just worked out that we met Eddie and he was doing business here and he was looking for investors and we started out with him with a totally different business um, which is now sold and yeah it's it's done it was a wonderful wonderful entry to the island uh but it opened up a lot of doors for us and it allowed us to several years later open up tiki grove mm-hmm. am, am i okay to ask what that other business was yeah it was a cafe and boutique um it's called eco boutique eco and boutique cafe. and cafe it was uh the owners were eddie and shaw and he's indonesian she is a kiwi and they did their own clothing uh, and a little cafe, beautiful clothing, just gorgeous yeah, stuff. They still do, Zada is, uh, is her business. Yeah, Zada Designs. Yeah. yeah, and he's continued on with Geely Built. He's got it on Geely Air now, so it's... Um, Mostly male clothing he does, and she yeah. does female clothing. But it's all custom clothing, beautiful stuff, uh, small batches, so you're not going to run into it anywhere else in the world, but it's like... It's, it's high-end clothing. It's very and nice. Made here in Indonesia, mm-hmm. made in, mostly yeah. in Bali, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Local, local, locally sourced and, and made here. Yeah. yeah. So, out of interest, what are your, what do you think are the main differences between Bali and the Gillies and Lombok? Well, I think like religion's a big thing for sure. Um, Bali is still Hindu and Buddhism, whereas the rest of Indonesia, I mean, this is the largest Muslim country in the world by population. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the fourth largest country in the world. It is 90% Muslim. So Bali is kind of that standalone in the middle that retained a different religion. There is still pockets of Christianity and Catholicism and everything else. Uh, But yeah, uh, Lombok tends to be very, very Muslim. Um, I've heard more mosques per capita than anywhere in the world. Um, And... That doesn't affect the tourism too much. I think the 
biggest thing is that Bali has had tourism for about 70 years, whereas Lombok has had tourism for about 30 and a mild form of tourism. Uh, Gili Chowangan tends to be an extension of Bali, but it's not. It is part of Lombok. A lot of people think we are a part of Bali when yeah. they get here, when they arrive. Because most people go to Bali, and, and they, they travel from Bali to get here. Um, but we are Lombok. So it, it is not Bali. Um, and I, I just think, yeah, it's, it's just, it, it's a lot more, I don't, I don't know how to say it. It's more laid back here. Mm-hmm. There's not, uh, tourism's a very new thing out here. It doesn't feel like it when you come to the island because this island is entirely 100% tourism. But I, I don't think we're that good at it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're getting there. And I think that's part of the charm is mm-hmm. that, this place is a little harder to get to um, than the rest of Bali. Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely just, it's a few years behind for sure. Cool. Yeah. So that, I wanted to ask then about the, uh, so with it being 90% Muslim, uh, we noticed when Bali, we were in an area where we just fancied a, a drink one night, so we went to the shop mm-hmm. and we walked for about an hour shop to shop and still couldn't find anyone sell, selling alcohol. In Bali? In Bali, yeah. Wow. We were right in the near uh, Ubud way out in the sticks. Mm-hmm. And so I wondered if that has an impact on opening a bar in a country. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, on Gili Shirwangan, we're fairly lucky. We, there's, we, we, they sell beer everywhere here. Yeah, it's um. Lombok, so much. Yeah, Lombok. So, so we're we're the tourist hub for all of Lombok. Even though we're these tiny little islands, and Lombok is just a beautiful place, we are the tourist hub right here. Um, so we have a little bit more access to um, spirits and drinks and things like that. But it is very tough getting quality import spirits into this country. Um, very expensive. We, yeah, we've, we don't always have access to the same import products. So for us to sell plantation rum uh, or, you know, Nusa Kenya, which I, I talked to you about this the other day, it's, it's an Indonesian rum, but they blend it outside of the country. So to bring it back in, it becomes an import, and it becomes really difficult for them to get it back into the country. Mm-hmm. So that is something that we deal with. We can't, we've got a really good selection right now. Our selection could be so much better if it was... If, we, if there was consistency in being able to bring the product in. But we don't know if we're going to be able to get some of the products next month. We'll always get something. Mm-hmm. We just don't know what we'll always be able to get. And a different price as well. Yeah, price. prices Should, just... Prices change all the time. Yeah. yeah. A few years ago, prices tripled overnight. Yeah. Uh, and it was a government saying, we're just doing this for the time being and we'll switch it back. Well, <laughs> why would anyone switch it back when everyone got used to paying that money? <laughs> so, so it is, you know, you come to Asia because you want it to be, people come here because it's cheap. Everything's cheap. But alcohol in Indonesia is not cheap, especially import stuff. It's very expensive. It's, it's, we're from Canada where import alcohol has so much tax put on top of it that all the Americans across the border think it's insane. Well, here it's even worse. Um, a bottle of Jack Daniels that would be $20 in America would be $50 in Canada is $110 in Indonesia. So wow. it's, uh, it's something you need to think about as a bar owner that when you're selling cocktails, especially like we do here at Tiki Grove, we've got to figure out a way to price them properly so that people still drink them and enjoy them. 
but you got to figure out how to make money off of it too. Of course, of course. So tell us about rum then. So clearly you know your way around a rum store. Still so. learning. <laughs> but we, we talked a little the other night about rum potentially being the next gin. Yeah. So tell me what your thoughts are on that. I think rum is in a wonderful place right now to become the next trend in alcohol. Um, and yeah, we did talk about this the other night in, uh, in the mid nineties, scotch just blew up. Uh, I think, I think Macallan 18 was one of the biggest things that happened because there was this 18 year old whiskey, but they started making that in the (laughs) eighties. They couldn't sell it till the nineties. And that's what really blew up. You started getting into these single malts and, and aged whiskeys. And that's what's happening with rum right now. Years ago, nobody cared about aged rum. Well, not the general public. But now, people that have been making rum for the last 100 years bottled some stuff 25 years ago, and they're just putting it on the market now, and you're getting to have these full-bodied dark rums that drink the same way as scotches and bourbons do. I mean, bourbons aren't as aged as long, but... um, And I think that's going to be a huge thing now. I I think gin is definitely the trend right now because... As we were saying, you don't have to age gin. You can go straight from distillation to bottle. Um, Rum is an age thing. A lot of these big companies have put a lot of money and a lot of time into doing some beautiful bottles of rum, uh, aging them in oak casks, treating it the way you treat whiskey. And and I think it's gonna it's gonna blow open the whole market for rum. People that are whiskey drinkers are going to start experimenting with that, and it's going to find, they're going to find a whole new market, and that's going to create that revenue that makes them want to keep doing that. And yeah, I think I think rum's just going to take off. I'm still new to rum myself. I've always been a whiskey guy. Um, owning a tiki bar, I had to learn about rum, and I thought I knew a lot about rum. What I'm finding out now is that I knew nothing about rum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning a lot about it right now. But you sound very knowledgeable. You certainly. Uh... It's, a, awesome stuff. it's easy to learn about something that you like drinking. <laughs> of course, of course. Is it, um, is it difficult to run a business over here as an expat? Like I know in Thailand you certainly, sometimes you have to, you can't own property, you have to own it through a national yeah. or something. Yeah, we, same thing, we own through a local and that's our friend Eddie who we were so, so fortunate to meet and, and uh, I have someone that you trust. Uh, that, that's the biggest thing. You, you do hear the nightmare stories about people buying through a local and the local decides they just want to own it and you lose your money. And mm-hmm. that does happen. It does happen. It's not, it doesn't happen a lot, but it does. Um, the nice thing about living on Gili Shawangan is that all the people that have done it before us are really giving with their information. It was one of the things that drew us to this island was we had questions with no answers um and everyone that was already doing what we wanted to do they they don't they don't hold on to that information they give it to you freely they want you to do well and i think that's one of the biggest things that most of the business owners here understand is that the business is not tiki grove the business is not manta dive the business is not the irish bar the business is gili trawangan and if we are all doing well, then we all do well. Mm-hmm. So when Catherine and I came here, not knowing anybody but Eddie, 
uh, all the expats, which are mostly UK expats, um, when we came to them and said, you know, who do we talk to for building? Who do we talk to for plumbing? Uh, they all had multiple answers and nobody held back. Everybody wanted us to do well. That was the greatest thing about living here was just you told everyone, hey, we're going to commit to this. We're going to do this on this island. And they went, that sounds like a great idea. How can we help you? And that's been the coolest thing. I, you know, you don't... In Vancouver, we always want to help the businesses around us for sure. But you don't give that information so freely. Whereas here... It's hard to do it. And everyone that's done it here, if they believe in you, they'll give you that information. They'll help you out. Brilliant. Yeah. There, there's no competition on the island. We realize that Gili Chawangan is the business that we need to make the good business. Tiki Grove is secondary. If the island's doing well, we we're, we're going to do well. Yeah. Brilliant. So moving away from the... Um, from the business side of it and to the personal side. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a bit more about what it's like to live an expat life with um, your wife and any challenges, any good bits? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, every, every day is a challenge. Every day gives us new things. We obviously, we, we learn things every day. You'll, you'll never be an expert on living out here <laughs> if you're not Indonesian. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I guess we miss some of the comforts of back home. That's probably one of the biggest challenges. But when you're out here and you're doing it, you're so involved. You don't really get a lot of chance to rest while you're doing it and think about what the challenges are. You're, you're literally just trying to overcome whatever that challenge is every day. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are. There's a lot of challenges out here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the day-to-day -day stuff is not as easy as it is back in the West. But it's also a thousand times cheaper. Yeah. which is why people take this chance, come out here and do this. It's, you got to work a lot harder to get it done. But, I mean, for Catherine and I, we couldn't have done a business like this back in Vancouver. We'd have 12 partners. They would all be arguing about how they wanted to do things. Um, it would have been a horrible lifestyle. <laughs> but out here, of course, the weather must also help. The weather's well. not so bad. I mean, we have a, between winter and summer, there's about a three degree change. It goes from hot to not as hot. Just in three degrees? About that. I mean, hot, the hot time of year is about 35 degrees. Wow. And the cool time of year is about 32 degrees. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, at nighttime, I laugh when I hear people at night going, oh, I'm so cold. And you look at your dive computer and it says 28 degrees. And you're like, you're cold, it's 28. <laughs> We're from Vancouver. 28 is like, they double the price of air conditioners. <laughs> you can't buy a fan for less than $100 if it goes to 28. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, that's as cold as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> and people will complain. You live here yeah. long enough, you will go, oh, it's 28, I'm so cold. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, man. <laughs> it's like you have a sheen of sweat on your face while you're saying that. I remember me and my wife uh, used to live in Spain, and when we first went across there looking for places, we went across in February time, yeah. and all the Spanish had got their coats on and their hats on and their scarves, and we were like, well, it's ridiculous, it's 15, 16 degrees. Yeah. But after a couple of years, it does get to the point where actually it gets a little bit chilly at 15, 16 degrees. You know, we went home to Vancouver through, this would have been 2014, and uh, a friend of mine was picking us up at the airport, and he says, it's 12 degrees, I'm going to bring you some ski jackets. <laughs> And I was like, ah, it's 12, whatever, not a big deal. 
oh my God, I was so happy he brought those jackets. We walked out of the terminal at Vancouver International Airport. I was like, oh my God, it's freezing. This isn't 12. It's got to be like minus two. He's like, no, it's, it's 12. I'm like, oh, I'm not conditioned for this at all. We were like wearing these big puffy parkas and I'm like, this is not enough. <laughs> I want to switch in over to your founder story, which is on the back of the menus. Yes. Can anyone read that online? Is, is there anywhere online? It is on our Facebook page. Right. Okay. I recommend uh, I'll put a link in the show notes onto the Facebook page because it's a great, yeah. great, <laughs> a great story. Um, tell me, is there anything, when you came up with that story, is it, is it allegorical? Is it um, a metaphor? Is it, did you just come up with it and sit down and write it after a few runs? What was, what was the story? No, you know what? Uh, the original guys that started Tiki Bars in the 1930s, there was Don the Beachcomber and there was Trader Vic, and they both created these giant uh, personas behind what they had done. And it was, it was dinner theater. Everything was fake. They created this world that nobody could check up on, and, and people wanted to believe it. I mean, it's escapism. That's what tiki bars are. It's to take you to the tropics. We're, we're lucky enough that we're in the tropics while we're doing it. But most tiki bars are in, in concrete jungles in the, the basement of a hotel. Uh, and these guys did that. Don the Beachcomber and Trader Vic created these fake stories. And they stood in their bars saying, I had a ship and I plied the South Seas and I sold rum and traded spices. And they were full of shit. <laughs> they were completely lying. But it was to the, the customers don't want to know that you're lying. The customers want to think that this is, and this could happen to anybody. And so that's what we did. When we started building our tiki bar, I said, why don't we create our own mythology as well? We're going to do it so tongue in cheek that everyone will look at it and go, okay, obviously this isn't real, but God, I wish it was real. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. We wrote a story about how we ended up here. Uh, that has to do with shipwrecks and floating on a raft of coconuts and it's all 100% absolutely true. (laughs) Well, I'll put a link on the uh, the show notes but you definitely should go and read it because it is a great... Yeah, if you go to Tiki Tiki Grove Gili Trawangan on Facebook uh, and you click on menus, uh, the whole story is right there. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, So one of the last questions I wanted to talk to you about was the... um, uh, the earthquake in Lombok last yes. year. Um, so it's, I don't know why, but for some reason we didn't hear much about it in the UK yeah. or in Europe. Um, but uh, speaking to lots of people, it was, it was a pretty big deal over here. It was, absolutely. It, um, it did make international news. Um, it was on BBC, it was on CNN. It, it was a massive earthquake. It was a 7.0. Um, and that, that's mentioning one. It wasn't just one earthquake, unfortunately. It was a series of earthquakes. We had two 7.0s. We had at least 20 that were above 6.5. Uh, it was a terrible time for this place. Uh, because we are still a little off the beaten path, it got into international news. And a few days later, a bridge collapsed in Italy. And we went out of the headlines, and that went into the headlines. Mm. Um, I'll say this very sadly it was a good thing for us it took us out of the headlines and a lot of people don't know what happened here this industry this this place that we live in the industry is tourism and that crushed tourism for months I mean we had to close the island for one month there were no fast boats coming to and from it wasn't safe it was non-stop aftershocks it was just not a good place to be 
but we need those tourists. We need them back. And this is why I say the bridge collapsing in Italy was obviously horrible for them, good for us, because we left the news cycle right away. And people that were looking at booking a trip two, three months down the road didn't know what happened here. So uh, it was a devastating time. It was a terrifying time for everyone who lived here because it just didn't stop. And it, you know, it's, it's not like bad weather where you can predict that it's coming. It just, you just didn't know. You'd wake up to it. You'd be having coffee in the afternoon. The ground would start shaking. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of panicked runs <laughs> to open spaces. Um, but this island, my God, man, watching this place come back together was just inspirational. Mm -hmm. All of the expats, all of the locals that live on this island, the government really didn't do much for us at all. We put this place back together. The people that live here, the people that are residents of Gili and got together and every day put on their running shoes and their work gloves and they got sledgehammers and went out and started knocking down stuff that needed to get knocked down and supporting things that needed to get supported. And we all threw money into a bucket to get excavators here and trucks. And in less than a month, we got fast boats coming back to this island and bringing customers back to the island. And it was, it was, it was inspirational. It was crazy. You'll see a lot of people on the island have a tattoo. It's the, oh, wow. it's the fist, it's the palm tree, and it's the sledgehammer. It's the rebuilding and the knocking down. And that was what a lot of us got to say, we were here, we did this, we lived through it, we put it back together, and we're back open for business. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'll put a picture of that on the, uh, in the show notes as well. Ah, please do. That would be awesome. That's really cool. So tell me, what, is, what does the future hold for you, do you think? Uh, for Catherine and I? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this, this business is still a baby to us, so we still have a lot that we want to do with it. We've, we actually did get an offer last year. A guy from Chicago wanted to buy it from us. Mm -hmm. And we never even really entertained the idea. I should have asked him. He could have offered us way more money than this was worth. I've <laughs> 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 been like, oh, that much? Yeah, it's yours. Uh, but we never really entertained it because we weren't, we, weren't, we weren't done with it yet. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and we're a year and a half in now, and it's still, it's been so much fun watching this grow. It's been so much fun for us to watch our ratings go up, watch this place become successful. Mm -hmm. It's every night when customers leave and they tell us how much they enjoyed themselves. To us, that's just the greatest thing in the world. To have them... The, the biggest complaint we ever get here is people saying, we're so, we're so, well, why aren't you on the beach? But we're so upset that we only found this on our last night. Mm -hmm. That's so the number that one so thing that we hear. Times, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's been great for us. So I think eventually we'll want to open one of these in Ubud. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to do a small version of this on the opposite end of the island. Just a uh, tiki taco shack, just tacos, soft drinks and beer, no restaurant, just a walk-up window where you can go and buy some tacos, an ice-cold bintang, and walk away. Um, but, you know, those are... Well, I think the, the tiki taco shack, maybe soon, hopefully. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Uh, but Ubud's about three years down the road. Um, but this is home now. This is Gili Trong and his home. Our future is to con continue nurturing this business, make it as good as it can possibly be. And I'll be honest with you right now, the business is fantastic. 
and we can make it so much better. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see what this place is going to do mm-hmm. and what we can do with this place and what all of our wonderful staff can help us yeah. do with this place. Yeah, because we'd, be, we'd I th- be nothing without them. Yeah, we're doing so well right now, and I think we're on the edge of what we're about to actually be. I think we're going to be so much better. That is brilliant. That is absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. If people want to hear, learn more about you, did you say the Facebook page might be the best one? Yeah, the Facebook is Tiki Grove Gili Trawangan. Uh, we're on Instagram as Tiki underscore Grove uh, and TripAdvisor Tiki Grove. Fantastic. All the links will be in the show notes. Tommy and Catherine, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure meeting you and we're going to go and end this and have a beer, I think. Al, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. You've been listening to the Thravelers podcast. Thanks for listening and head on over to thravelers.com for all the show notes and links mentioned in the show. Mm-hmm.